Good evening, everyone. Welcome to. We have to start the recording. Compliance would stay alone. I was about to say it's a boisterous crowd. It's either a rugby match or the Astoria Rotary Club. I'm not sure which. Okay, roll call. Mr. Pearson. Councillor Herman. Here. Councillor Brownson. Here. Councillor West. Here. Councillor Rocco. Yes, President. Mr. Jones. Here. All right, it is my uh, pleasure to begin the meeting by reading a proclamation proclaiming a Rotary Day in Astoria. I'll read the proclamation and then after I'll ask uh, Mr. Uh, Alan Mossman, who's the president of Rotary, and all other Rotarians who may be in attendance to come up and we'll have a grip and grin, present the proclamation, and I'll invite you to offer words of wisdom. So, proclamation. Whereas Rotary International, founded on February 23, 1905 in Chicago, is the world's first and one of the largest nonprofit service organizations, and whereas there are over 1.2 million Rotarians comprised of professional and business leaders in over 32,000 clubs in more than 200 countries, and whereas the Rotary Club of Astoria, Oregon, was the third club to be recognized to a Rotary International membership in Oregon, and whereas the Rotary Club of Astoria was admitted to Rotary International membership on 1 February 1920 and is celebrating 100 years of making a difference every day. And whereas since the club's establishment 100 years ago, professional and business leaders in Astoria have continued the Rotary legacy by providing humanitarian service, encouraging high ethical standards, and promoting goodwill and peace in our communities, and whereas the Rotary Club of Astoria has participated in the Rotary Youth Exchange Program to promote international understanding through scholarships, exchange programs, and humanitarian grants, and whereas the Rotary Club of Astoria has funded scholarships for students in the Astoria School District to continue their studies after high school graduation, and whereas the Rotary Club of Astoria's past service projects have included the People's Park, John Warren Field, Bridge and Kevin Work at Camp, Kuwanawa, yearly dictionaries for each fourth grader in Astoria School District, and the foundations for the mounted buoys at the Columbia River Maritime Museum, among many others, and whereas planned future service projects include quarterly maintenance of the Scandinavian Memorial Park, I think that's the Nordic Memorial Park now, and working with other service clubs to develop informational welcome signs at three entrances to Astoria, among others to follow, and whereas the Rotary Club of Astoria celebrating a century of service at a gala dinner at the Astoria Elk Lodge on Saturday, February 29, 2020, and whereas the following service by each Astoria Rotarian is pledged 100 acts of kindness and 100 hours of volunteer service in our community, communities for the year. Therefore, I, Bruce Jones, Mayor of the City of Astoria, do hereby proclaim proclaim February 29, 2020 as Rotary Day in Astoria and encourage all citizens to join in recognizing, celebrating, and honoring the Rotary Club of Astoria for 100 years of service to improve the human condition in our local communities for its dedication to the object of Rotary and for its commitment to the ideal of service above self. In witness whereof I have herewith set my hand and caused the seal of the city of Astoria to be affixed this 18th day of February 2020. Signed, me. <laughs> so, Mr. Mossman, Rotarians, please come forward.
very excited uh, to be celebrating our 100 years of service within Astoria, and we invite you all to come join in our celebration at the Elks on February 29th. Uh, tickets are available, so come find one of us if you're interested in it. Thank Uh, next, we will have Sarah Lodeep provide the Astoria Downtown Historic District Association annual report. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I am Sarah Lodeep. I'm the Executive Director of the Astoria Downtown Historic District Association. We are a little bit behind the rotary. We celebrated 30 years in 2015. Uh, thanks for having us here. We enjoy support from the City of Astoria, and this is a recap of what we've done in the last year. Uh, starting with every January, we have a volunteer appreciation night. Um, as an A Street organization, we are volunteer-led. Um, we have about 35 people serving on committees that meet monthly, and we have about 225 people that volunteer at events with us throughout the year. Um, that is usually followed by a spring cleanup, which is called the Love Your Streets event. Um, this year, we did a major replanting of the 35 sets of gray square planters that are on the sidewalks throughout downtown. Um, this required about two dozen trees, you can see the plants there, three dozen volunteers, an entire dumpster of compost was removed from downtown, and a smaller dumpster version of trash that included, you know, everything, hubcaps and zip ties and, uh, you know, detritus from the streets and the planters. Um, so if you've uh, had a chance to look, I do believe that they've weathered the year pretty well. Uh, we've started planning for this year and Linda Brim gave us a thumbs up on choosing good species, so it's always nice to have Linda's seal of approval. Um, this seems like a really long time to me, but um, after about 18 months of fundraising, we installed the, uh, the, the permanent set of lights and uh, commissioned a mural for the 13th Street Alley. Um, just to review, I'm pretty sure that most folks remember how this went, but um, we had a review panel that looked at finalists that were chosen after requests for proposals were put out. That panel included uh, the property owner's representative from the Australia Visual Arts Association, members of our design committee, um, and one citizen at large. Um, the finalists partnered with us in going before HLC, got a permit to paint the space, and just before July 4th, we had a ribbon cutting ceremony. About 75 people came out and celebrated with <coughs> us, uh, filled up all of the establishments uh, there at the end on 13th Street, uh, and it was really a great deal of fun. There we go. Um, while all of this was happening, I believe it was in May when we got me a letter that we were awarded a grant for the J.C. Penney's building. Um, this, what, this grant is um, from the Main Street Building Revitalization Grant out of the SHPO office. In discussions with the property owners, we all know this is a major landmark building. The loss of the JCPenney's was uh, the loss of an anchor in downtown. Um, and, and we learned while speaking with John Gutenberger, one of the amazing assets in our community, that the back of this building was not actually the way that we thought it was. And so we found these line drawings. Um, and if you look at the this is a bit of a strange drawing, but the, the, the mantle through the middle is actually the ground level, and the aim is to restore that Dwayne Street facade to the original uh, glass storefronts with glass transom windows, and then also provide ADA accessible restrooms, which is a requirement of getting that building back into use. Um, and so we're very excited about this project, and we continue to work with the owner to find an appropriate tenant for it. Uh, we've also continued our work on the Merwin apartment project. Uh, in the spring of 2019, Innovative Housing was working on a lift grant application, which is um, how the state of Oregon disperses some federal housing dollars. Um, lift stands for four things, the I being innovation, and so Innovative Housing reached out to us to help them create some innovative partnerships in town. And so, 
through uh, the College's Historic Preservation Program with the SBDC, with the Lower Columbia Hispanic Council. We created a lot of projects to ensure that these folks that are living in this affordable housing are getting access to career ladder supports, um, that the building itself is being used to train students at the college. We're very excited when we heard that that was funded and construction did start on that building. Um, I can say while well, we got this news this year, we were also very excited to hear from the Meyer Memorial Trust. They recently funded the project for another $195,000, which helps with some unexpected expenses that have come up in the project. And um, we're just thrilled to death. We did three open tours of that building, um, both for just interested citizens and also some special time for artists to be in the space and capture renderings of what the building looked like before construction. Um, and it's just, uh, I think it's always important to note that this project will be over a $6 million investment into downtown and we'll put 40 additional housing units on the market. Um, some of the regular programs that our volunteers keep going, including the Business Development Committee's Welcome Walkabout, uh, wherein the volunteers from that committee welcome 20 new businesses into downtown throughout 2019. So we go to their businesses with flowers, also information about parking, um, resources around town, upcoming events, how to get involved, and our promotions committee um, works with the Coast Guard sector here and for the second year in a row put together 125 welcome kits for families and individuals that are um, changing station into our area. In the fall, we were very excited to work with the owners of the Astoria Oddfellows building to apply for a national grant. Um, many people around town will tell you that I'm hesitant to apply for national grants because I find that sometimes they are competitive to the point where the application time might not weigh the effort, but um, we were excited to be chosen, chosen as one of 20 finalists. I'm pretty sure that everybody behind the dais and most people in the room voted more than once, hopefully. We had 18,000 logins for 90,000 votes for this project. We came in fourth nationally, third nationally, I have a good one. Um, Same amount of money, so. <laughs> and uh, we received a full funding request of $150,000, which will go towards um, weatherproofing the building, restoring the Italianate windows, repairing the stucco and a uh, paint job on the outside. So that is going to be a great facelift for uh, 10th and commercial. And then our promotions committee, um, inspired by the work that the Christmas Club does, um, chose to really focus on the holidays this year. And so we took some programming that had been in existence and kind of beefed it up. Um, so the downtown raffle was another great success with over 200 entries. The Shop Local Shop Plaid campaign is in its fourth or fifth year um, and is being adopted by other communities around Oregon. So that's always um, a nice boost to see what you're doing is compelling. Uh, we also added a screening of Elf the Movie at the Liberty Theater. Uh, this was a free to the public event. We did ask folks to bring in clean new socks. There's a scene in the movie where there's a snowball fight. We turned up the house light and had a sock ball fight um, and ended up donating over 550 pairs of clean new socks to the Assistance League to clothe children in need in our county. We also hosted um, Santa Claus each Saturday between Thanksgiving and Christmas, uh, free of charge for our community at the Liberty Theater, and hosted the downtown lighting the Saturday after Thanksgiving. We were uh, thrilled to have good weather and um, <coughs> partners from the fire department to the city for permitting to the chamber for getting us a trailer, Ohana Media brought in the speakers. Everybody who's ever helped with anything uh, was helping us out that night and um, hundreds of uh, people and their children uh, enjoyed Santa Claus coming in and turning on those lights. Um, we've also continued our agreement with the city to manage parking in the downtown district. Um, we are happy to see that overall behavior has changed for employees and property owners and they park outside the district during those restricted hours. Of course, there are a handful of folks uh, that we still continue to communicate about these rules, um, but our community outreach officer seems to be doing a really great job at, in his position uh, considering the stresses that come along with it. Um, 
since the Main Street organization was reinstituted in Oregon about 10 years ago. Astoria's been the recipient of awards each year. Uh, we took home the Main Street Manager of the Year and then the Best Historic <coughs> Preservation Project at the Eminem Building, um, Marcus and Michelle Leota's work there at Ninth and Commercial. So this was a pretty quick run through. It was a summary of a wordier narrative provided in your packet, and I would be happy to answer any questions on the highlights of 2019. I don't have any questions, but I, I thank you and uh, your board and the many, many volunteers that support the many, many different projects ADHD uh, does for the community. Thank you. I had one question. Sarah, if you had to um, estimate just a, a ballpark figure as far as financially, uh, all the grants, of course, that go pretty much directly through you, how much um, financially would you estimate that you brought in during 2019? 2019 is pretty easy. That was $298,000 okay. in, in, in grant activity. Um, in the past three years, I believe it's 460000 Okay. Um, and that um, some of these projects aren't finished, so the overall impact is hard to tell, but I, I would expect an over $7 million impact on right. those grants with their matches and other money being spent on those projects. And now, next, I would like to introduce Sarah Lou Heath to give the downtown parking study. <laughs> All right, parking is everybody's favorite topic. Um, I want to get the history of this right. In 2017, we had an agreement with the city of Astoria um, to manage parking, but it was quite a challenge to find the right person to take on this job, and there were dedicated funds that were unused. Um, learning that a parking occupancy survey should take place about every five years just to keep up with what is happening. We requested that those funds be reallocated so we could hire a contractor and repeat a study that Todd Scott had done uh, with his tenure with the city. And so in 2018 we embarked on um, the counting and the mapping. In 2018 we did um, three different types of surveys, and we've compiled that information in a long report which you were provided, which I'm just going to give a summary of now. Uh, just a reminder, the purpose of the study uh, was to update the parking space and occupancy information from the 2013 report, that was the Todd Scott report that I mentioned. Um, also to act on a recommendation of that report, which was, sorry, 2013 was the TSP, the Transportation Systems plan um, did look at downtown parking so it was uh, in, in between those two um, it was a 20 so 2006 recommendation to inventory the private parking spots in hopes of finding uh, some space that could be leased from private citizen to private citizen um, and, and that would be purpose number three um, so first I think the information that everybody is interested in is um, on this sunny Friday in July, which was a repeat of how it was done previously, how many parking spots are taken at, at certain times of day? So you can see that um, from 8 to 10 a.m., you're not super surprised to see that there's a lot of parking available downtown. The space that you will see on the southwest is the, is the county building, um, where they tend to have a lot of employees who park on the street, and you can see a strip near Street 14 Coffee there on commercial between 12th and 14th is red. Um, on this code, red indicates 85% or more usage per block face, orange 70 to 85%, so on and so forth. Um, I am not a traffic engineer, but we certainly consulted a, just a, a short 80-page long document from ODOT called Parking Management Made Easy. <laughs> <laughs> that was the right response. Um, and, and have consulted with a couple of other people that were made available through the Main Street system just to uh, make sure that we were kind of in compliance with what we were seeing is, is how, how those things were judged. And so at 85% or more, you're considered constrained and should be looking at parking alternatives. Um, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., the lunch hour, you can see that things get busier. 
but you can also see that constrained parking is relegated to certain areas and if you look at this map you can kind of guess and see where people are going and what they're doing particularly you see on Duane Street east of 14th that is actually employee parking and so you're going to see people well it's not employee parking it is untimed parking that is outside the parking districts because people have the ability to park there all day and so we do see that fill up with folks that are at work um, and then we looked at 5 and 7 p.m. to hit that that dinner hour um, and this is where you will see it's busiest which is uh, a sign of a healthy economy um, this again is uh, Friday night in July and so we are seeing a lot of activity downtown uh, but you're also seeing that it is constrained to about a four block by four block area and if you if, if you can traverse a little bit farther out of that there is ample parking um, I also wanted to show, as not a graphic designer, this is an overlay of Costco and Walmart on downtown. <laughs> the parking lot in the buildings of Costco and Walmart are pretty much the entire space of our 10 block by 4 block district. Thus, if you need to walk two or three blocks, that is approximately the same distance you're going to be walking from the parking lot to a box store in our neighboring communities. Just wanted to throw a little perspective in there. Um, we also did surveys. We did surveys of major employers, Moe's, Bowie, and Port George. We did not survey uh, the city and the county because by and large they have parking spaces reserved for their employees. Um, we also did um, in-person surveys on the street, both during Sunday market and during the week. And we did an online survey as well. Um, here what you are looking at are the responses showing that the in-person surveys, about 37% of people parked within two blocks or fewer of their destination, and the online survey shows that 60% of people recall parking two blocks or less from their destination. Uh, we also asked some other questions. Um, for example, do you drive downtown or walk downtown? Unsurprisingly, those that were surveyed on the street, fewer people drove their cars. Uh, those folks that were using um, an internet connection to fill out the survey have a really high percentage of people driving. Um, the second one is parking a factory and coming downtown. There's a large disparity here. People that have made it downtown and were surveyed on the street, nearly 80% said, I don't consider parking when I come downtown. I come downtown and find a place to park. 60% of people that were taking this survey from an internet connection said that they did consider whether parking was available as part of their decision-making process when coming downtown. So that's notable. Um, and then it's just also really wonderful to see the amount of regularity of people that visit downtown daily, about 40% from both types of surveys. Um, in conclusion, um, of, of the majority of private employers that came downtown, the employee survey response was very low. Um, we worked with management to have this in paper. We had slips of paper where they could fill it online if they wanted to. We feel that if there was a real urgency in, in solving an issue around parking, we would have seen higher response rates from these groups. Um, of course, the exception was employees at Bowie Beer. And we tie this to the fact that they used to have a, a large flat parking lot immediately adjacent to their property that has been developed at this point and, does, and retains very few parking spots. Um, Bowie does have some of them, um, but they're specified for, for particular people within their organization. Um, and then one of the main motivators of this study was to find how many par parking spaces there were and how many of them might be available for lease. Um, the, the good news is, is that we live in a great community and we have a lot of private parking that has been leased to folks that don't own it. The bad news is the vast majority of private parking has been leased to somebody who is already using it. So we were hoping to find a mechanism there that would have allowed for greater connection for employees to find uh, a regular spot downtown, but that opportunity doesn't seem to exist. Um, also, uh, from our occupancy survey, you can see that parking is general available within a reasonable distance, but there are nodes of high congestion 
where you're not going to be able to find a parking space immediately in front of your destination. And we know that uh, climate can be a real motivator to want to park very near to your destination. Um, one thing that was noticeable across the different studies where as businesses moved, came and went, um, the nodes of where parking was congested changed. Um, and because of that and that natural change, it will be very hard to find a way, build an island, I'm not sure, but find a way to um, relieve parking for a particular area because that need might change as the use of that building changes. Um, we also found that um, visitors in particular find that our parking situation is unproblematic. It is free parking. It is generally speaking near where you're going. Um, and so that's just a little bit of a, a perception difference. Um, we did make some recommendations. Um, it should be noted that in this study, there are several um, proposals that were considered, including um, a paid parking lot, a parking garage, and metered parking. According to typical traffic engineer standards, we do not meet the criteria to invest in these type of options. And in particular, uh, we have a land use issue in that downtown is basically on a peninsula, as most of Astoria is, and there is not uh, just an abundance of vacant land to turn into parking lots. Um, we consulted with uh, both the Seaside Convention Center um, and a, um, I believe we had a National Construction Prices Guide. Um, both of them estimated a 100-car parking garage at over $2 million. That would be assuming that we had the space for it and the amortization schedule on that cost of the building. Um, it just does not pencil for a community our size in any reasonable time frame. Um, so we, we don't recommend those things, but there is information in the, in the survey just to explain our rationale. What we do recommend is ensuring that some parking is preserved in the development of Heritage Square. Um, do maintain the, the city ordinance restricting street parking for the business district. Uh, continue active parking enforcement. Um, continue the education of merchants and keeping open spaces for customers. And then specifically in response to the issues that Bowie Beer employees are facing, to consider a conversation with ODOT at 6th and Marine regarding an enhanced crossing at that space. The available public parking at that area would require a crossing of Marine Drive in many instances in that intersection. Currently has a crosswalk that is not necessarily wonderfully adhered to. Um, some options, should we see increased urgency to provide alternatives to accessing downtown um, might be a park and ride option for employees, so seasonal shuttles for shift workers. Um, we identified the DMV lot along 202 as having a number of parking spaces that are regularly unused, uh, but are within Astoria's general center. Um, also promote walking and cycling and other options for everybody. Um, we have a bus route that loops Astoria hourly that I don't think most people know about. It's the number 10. Um, we, have, we have bike lanes, we have a river walk that traverses the, the length of town, and just a handful of options that I think, especially in these peak and high seasons, uh, could be used as alternatives to parking. Because the parking issues that we see are, are specifically related to high seasons with tourists and then events that are, that are happening. And then of course the last one would be peak day shuttles. Um, you will see other areas, particularly internationally, that have um, barred uh, individual passenger vehicles from their districts entirely and use shuttles. You can also see this, for example, in um, Zion National Park. It's a box canyon and you go in and out of it. They've chosen to remove uh, passenger vehicles and only use shuttles, it works well there. Again, this would be uh, for peak days in the future. Um, and then for specific events, um, I was really 
thrilled and I heard a lot of people were also looking forward to using the shuttles that the Festival of the Dark Arts provided this year. Um, and of course the Chamber has uh, done a good job of running shuttles to and from Crabfest uh, with a number of people that go to their fairgrounds and around town. So looking at alternative transportations, you know, seasonally and on peak days um, might make the best sense in the future. Uh, part of our scope of work was to also look at signage recommendations. Um, we didn't find many, um, but we were hoping to get a blue P dot on Marine Drive at 12th, uh, pointing people south to other available parking, um, as well as possibility of partnering with other uh, organizations and agencies to do a public campaign encouraging people to carpool by walk or trolley their way into downtown. Um, and, and some possible improvements at the 13th Street Pit is there is public parking in that area, but egress for pedestrians is challenging on that very steep drive. Jimmy, I have a strange thing on the screen. Okay. So there's a lot of granular information, including, you know, block by block information on percentages of how many of them are full and how many of them are empty. Um, and so while this is a summary, I was wondering if the counselors had any questions for the longer report. Okay, I'm going to need a five minute break. <laughs> no, it was interesting to see your conclusions, Sarah, and I think they reflect my own experience in driving around downtown. Um, we know probably the day's going to come when we have to do something else about parking, but right now it seems like we can kind of find a place to park. What are we going to do? I, I think that there might be there, there might be changes in our downtown that will necessitate different attitudes toward parking and different parking solutions. But I think here as we stand today with what is built today, what we know will be built in the next year, that we are still within the realm of, you know, a reasonable distance between your car and your destination. No, thanks for all the analysis. And it is nice to have in writing some things to refute the comments we see sometimes in letters to the editor or the, either the paper or social media comments that, you know, parking is horrible. It's don't know. People will say, I don't even go into Astoria anymore. The parking is so bad. You know, I've only lived here since 2011. I've, I've come into town all times of day and night and seasons. And for when there's big events going on and not big events, I've never had to park more than a couple blocks away from any place. And uh, I think it's an unrealistic expectation that you can just pull up downtown right in front of the store you want to go to and find a spot right there. Because if you could, it would mean that that business is going out of business. You, you make a great economic point that um, should we be looking at an empty commercial street that we have to really reprioritize how we're doing things? Um, it's, you know, we, we get phone calls, probably not every day, but several times a week from people with parking questions or, or uh, businesses with parking questions. I certainly, I was I was meeting with the, the last manager of JCPenney's today and, and parking came up and I said, how often do people complain about parking? And she said, every day. And to, to stand up and say that this isn't a problem certainly gives me pause. However, for the last three and a half years, I have been downtown six days a week, 50 weeks a year. And once in 2007, at the starting time of the high boat parade during the regatta, I could not find a parking spot. I didn't look very hard either, because I <laughs> saw that there was one open and I knew who had it reserved, and so I called them and said, taking your spot at the last one open. Um, so maybe I can find a parking spot, maybe not, um, but it, it gives me great trepidation to say anything that I know there's such passionate feelings on, but I also know that I've been looking consistently because I, I, I don't want to contradict anything that people hold so closely to them, um, but we count it. Yeah, I want to thank, thank you, too, uh, for the report. I think that is something that we do have to keep our eye on because there is an ebb and flow. And if, if uh, we continue to grow um, tourist-wise in particular, and that's what tends to drive the parking issues down there, um, it is going to get more difficult. I, I agree with the mayor that I drive down there 
periodically, and I always find a place to park the, um, often right practically in front of the store I want to park, you know, go into because, you know, people aren't parking all day there. I think I've had one instance where it was difficult, and, when, and it was when there was an event for the theater, mm -hmm. and trying to park close to the theater on a rainy night, yep. you know, that was tough. Yeah. Um, but I, but I know that there are some things coming out down the line potentially that are going to take parking spaces away from us, and and um, as new businesses as uh, a drift hotel comes into play, and, and how that's going to impact, and that, um, if we have any further, you know, additional business and development down there, uh, it'll impact it. So you know, keeping an eye, keeping our eye on possible solutions and, and possible. Uh, parking sharing mm -hmm. opportunities. Somebody made a point that the bowling alley has a parking lot that rarely gets used, but they save it for themselves or when they when they need it for uh, their lease, for instance, and but otherwise it tends to be vacant. And I, I haven't talked <coughs> with the city or talked with the county, but they have parking lots that in the evenings there's, they're not being used. And, and we have found that um, bank parking lots in particular, um, they're empty at night, but there are issues with um, corporate policies and insurance that they, they're not comfortable <coughs> with citing that as like public parking after 6 p.m. So there's currently, um, fortunately I'm saying this on the record, but a, a, an unspoken agreement that if you're good to the parking lot, we'll be good about not keeping you out of it. And, and that we didn't want to push that into a place where they were patrolling their parking lots for to, to keep people out of them in the evening hours. So, right. And, and things happen even like with the Sunday market. That's where all the market vendors park is at the city at the Astoria's parking lot on Sundays. And so there's there are these different agreements that are in place, agreements or known understandings of what happens there. So, uh, so. Um, right. There are those things that do occur, right? And, and and I really appreciate the point about that Heritage Square and its development in the future, because it's certainly something that we want to take on and need to take on um, at some point here. And uh, that's a big bunch of parking for downtown. And if we do some sort of development that compromises that, not only do we add more business, potentially, but we potentially take away parking. So. And I we think there are examples in the low country and even in the northwest of being able to develop land like that and retain the parking while building above it. Um, right. It takes you know creativity and motivation, but I think that it's possible to retain some parking there while developing that space. So regarding any the blue P dot uh, signage, what will be the process for erecting any of those signs in appropriate places? So the where it is noted, that is an ODOT facility, and yes. so our Public Works Department would be having to work with ODOT to determine whether or not that's something that, that could be installed along their facility. And a similar question, what's the process for looking, working with ODOT for any enhanced pedestrian crossing on Redrive? That's actually been, that's actually a part of our transportation system plan for that improvement to be there. Uh, we've had many conversations about when there could be funds to be able to look at doing that. One of the, you may recall, one of the, the items that ODOT was pursuing was the road diet through that area to be able to start facilitating that improvement. And unfortunately, that, that project was not funded by ODOT uh, to be able to make that, that project occur. However, ODAP staff and our public works staff um, are looking for any opportunities that come up that could fund anything. Jeff, do you have anything else to add? We told ODAP that's a priority for us. We have multiple locations, we have six of them through town that we've identified for, for increase or improved uh, crossings. Part of, part of the problem is the logistics of, of closing the one leg of it and having one leg open and building the bulb out. Thank you. Thank you. All right, thank you very much. Reports of counselors, Councilor Hermes. All right, well, I wanted to thank uh, Ms. Heath for her excellent reports. And I think she glossed over an important detail in the annual report. And that is that she was named the Main Street Manager of the Year.
for Oregon for 2019. Well and one of the things I did, uh, I believe two weeks ago, Friday, is attend the uh, monthly meetings of the Astoria Downtown Historic District Association. It is a really vibrant, energetic group of folks. And at a time when many communities in our country have lost their downtowns, I'm really glad to see Astoria's doing so well. I was here in 1986. Let me tell you, those who say it was much better back then, I completely disagree. <laughs> it looks, seriously, it looks, you know, not that there's not room for improvement. There always is, no matter what you're talking about. But it looks great, and Sarah Lou, Sarah Lou, you have a lot to do with that, as well as all of the merchants who just go toward making our community a great place. And Cindy Mudge, who is the um, director of the Astoria Sunday Market, as well as of uh, Clots Cruise Hosts, you are another instrumental person, so thank you. And I also attended the um, City's Homelessness Solutions Task Force. We had a great presentation from the man from, who works for the City of Gresham. He is their liaison officer, going out in the community on a daily basis, meeting and talking with homeless individuals, trying to connect them, trying to connect them with services they need. And it's been a really good program there. And thanks to Chief Spalding's leadership, our police chief, he's proposing that we partner with perhaps Clatsop County governments as well as the city of Warrington and maybe some social service agencies and try to do something like that here. So I also wanted to thank you, Chief. We're not an easy group probably to wrangle, um, but you've done it for, I don't know what, two and a half years, and I don't know how you got roped into that, but thank you. <laughs> and that's all I have. Thank you, Councilor Bronson. Thank you, I don't have much to report here. Um, I just want, would like to mention that um, along with uh, Councilor Rocca had a uh, uh, conference call with our state representative, Tiffany Mitchell. I just want to point out that uh, she is really making, making a lot of strong efforts to uh, connect with all our constituents in a variety of ways. And this is one of them where she is trying to do a regular phone call with uh, public officials and get our perspective. And it's an opportunity for us to address uh, what's going on in state legislation at the time. I just really appreciate her efforts to communicate, and she's doing this. Um, our previous representative, um, who, I, who I liked, um, I never saw. And we see uh, Representative Mitchell out doing things all the time, working really hard. So. I just wanted to note with some appreciation of that. And as I like to do uh, when I make a report of counselor, I always like to mention something about the environment. And I just want to note that uh, at Classic Community College up in the, uh, their new uh, center up there, um, you can bring your water bottle and set it under there and it will fill it up for you. And you can walk away without creating a new one. And it keeps account how many bottles has been saved, and it's been thousands, and it's just a evidence of what small things people can do to make a, a difference, um, so I appreciate that. And using their new facility up there, by the way, I think that everybody ought to check it out. I mean, it is really a wonderful facility, and, and if people need to get a little exercise, workout, walk, run, uh, lifting machines, classes, uh, it really is a good program up there, and it is underutilized, and I really urge everybody to try and take advantage of it. Thank you. If I might, um, I would note that um, we have some of these and city facilities as well um, in the uh, library, um, and also uh, one in parks. We have uh, one in the recreation center. Recreation center. And and soon to be in City Hall. Thank you. I have a spigot in front of my house. You can come by anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Council West. Um, well, not a whole lot to report. I, 
I want to reiterate what Joan said, um, and especially thanking Chief Spaulding for your involvement and leadership with the Homeless, Homelessness Solutions Task Force. Um, and really, again, uh, reiterate how important I think that that liaison position is, is worth pursuing. Um, and uh, also thanking Sarah Liu, um, who I had the good pleasure of working with, uh, of course, on the Odd Fellows grant. And um, that grant commenced, we got the results, I believe it was November 1st or October 31st of last year. And we, our schedules didn't align until two weeks ago, I think, to celebrate um, on my front porch. And so um, I don't know that I've ever worked with someone who had so much uh, integrity and enthusiasm, the ability to juggle multiple things at once. Her phone was always ringing off the hook, texts coming in. Um, your ability to maintain really strong, positive relationships with these grantors that are reaching out to her and say, hey, what do you think about this? Um, we wouldn't have even known about the grant uh, had you not come to us. So um, I can't believe how much you do, and I hope you know how much um, so many of us appreciate that. Uh, and. Yeah, that's all I have to say. Thank you, Councilor Rocca. Yeah, I think first I would second uh, Councilor Brownson's comment about uh, Representative Mitchell. I think she's done an extraordinary job of just making herself accessible to not only to public officials but also to the public. Uh, I also got to attend the Housing Solutions Task Force that some of my colleagues serve on, and to hear the presentation again by Gresham's homeless liaison. He, he also presented at the League of Oregon Cities. Uh, conference. And it struck me that a lot of the things Gresham is doing, the agencies in our community are doing, uh, we even have, we don't have a liaison going around and talking almost daily to people who are homeless, but we have volunteers who do, like Del Moffat and Rick Howard are out there all the time. The big difference is that they are able to place people in housing almost immediately because they have. That's our challenge, try to figure out a way that we can make more housing available in our community. That's a very, very tough thing to do. And I was very impressed with the people who were there, and I think it's a great group. Um, League of Oregon Cities uh, has small cities meetings around the state, and there's, uh, there's one that takes place in our region that kind of moves around the region. And, uh, and within the past uh, week or two, they had one here in Astoria up at the college and I, I attend that and it's just a good opportunity to get in touch with and, and kind of trade with other officials in our area who are also managing small cities. In this particular meeting we had people as you would expect from Warrington, Seaside and Cannon Beach but also representatives from Klaskenai were there. Um, and it's just good to be able to trade, uh, trade information with them. And finally I would say relative to the Sixth Street crossing and so on, I got to meet uh, some, some folks who would sort of be our allies in trying to work on pedestrian safety. ODOT actually has a Bicycle and Pedestrian Advisory Committee, and they met in Astoria uh, a week or so ago, um, and they were taken out to see uh, the, what's being planned for Uniontown Reborn. This is a group that is not afraid at all to push back against ODOT's traffic engineers about their ideas about moving traffic because their, their role is pedestrian and bicycle safety. So if we need some allies to push on that 6th Street crossing, I think these are the folks who we would want to talk with. Uh, uh, they're a great group of people. That's the end of my report. Thank you, and I will pass tonight. Um, changes to agenda, are there any? No changes. The consent calendar, items on the consent calendar are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion unless a member of the council requests to have an item considered separately. Members of the community may also request to have an item removed if they contact the city manager by 5 p.m. on meeting day. Have uh, any members of the public contacted you? No requests. Are do any councilors wish to remove an item? May we then have a motion to approve the consent calendar? 
I move that we uh, approve the consent calendar. I second that. Okay, roll call. Chief Spalding. Councilor Herman. Aye. Councilor Brownson. Aye. Councilor West. Aye. Councilor Rogers. Aye. Mayor Johnson. Aye. Regular agenda. All agenda items are open for public comment following deliberation by the City Council. Rather than asking for public comment after each agenda item, I'll ask you to raise your hand if you wish to speak to an item and you'll be recognized. In order to respect everyone's time, comments are limited to three minutes. Now, on our first agenda item, we actually have a closed hearing, so there won't be comments on this, uh, on this item. 8A is Council Final Deliberations on Appeal AP-1903 by MMCG GOI Astoria LLC Grocery Outlet on Design Review Request DR-19-03 by MMCG GOI LLC for 2190 Marine uh, Drive. And you want to introduce that? Sure. So on January 21st, the council held a de novo public hearing on this appeal. Uh, and the uh, decision of the Design Review Commission was to deny the design review request uh, to construct the grocery outlet store at 2190 Marine Drive. At your February 3rd meeting, the council considered all evidence submitted on the issue and made a tentative decision to deny the request and appeal pending final adoption of finding of facts. Since this time, staff and the city attorney have prepared draft findings of fact for consideration. So tonight, it'd be in order for council to consider the findings of facts, which were included in your packet, and make a decision on the appeal. Um, I would note that if uh, there are any uh, items in the findings that you would ask for changes, uh, Ms. Fryer, Barbara Fryer, our city planner, is in the audience uh, to be able to make any of those uh, changes that you would like to see made. Uh, and um, I'll turn it back over to the mayor. All right, then. So we won't have a a presentation as we did last time. I know all of us have uh, thoroughly reviewed the packet and the revised findings prepared by Ms. Johnson. So uh, I'll open it for council deliberation or comment. Uh, I, I would say that uh, Ms. Johnson and our city attorney have thought did a, uh, an excellent job of really crystallizing the concerns of council, um, often in a more articulate way than that I was, or some of us were, um, but uh, I, I have no problems with the findings as they as they presented. I would agree. I would too, and I'd like to thank the Design Review Committee for all of their work um, before we even saw the application or the appeal from Grocery Outlet, and I'll just say that. I like Grocery Outlet a lot. They have a great business model, and I'd love to see them in Astoria, but as presented the plans, as um, we discussed at our last meeting, at least in my opinion, do not fit within our development code, and we don't have a, from where I sit, we don't have a choice of whether to follow the development code. You know, I mean, you can break the law, but there are consequences, and I was, um, I'm in this seat and was, sworn to uphold our city laws, and that's why I voted um, against the appeal. So, that's it. All right, then may we have a motion? Uh, I move that we um, uh, adopt the findings of fact and deny the appeal and send review request. I'll second that. A roll call, Chief Crutchfield. Councilor Hurd. Aye. Councilor Branson? Aye. Councilor West? Aye. Councilor Rocco? Aye. Mayor Jones? Aye. This decision may be appealed to the Land Use Board of Appeals by the applicant, party to the hearing, or a party who has standing by filing an appeal with LUBA uh, within 21 days after the City Council has made its decision. Item 8B is Council support for county adopted tobacco retail licensing ordinance. So on January 8th, 2020, the Prince of County Board of Commissioners adopted the Tobacco Retail Licensing Ordinance, 
a copy of that ordinance was attached uh, to your council packet. Mr. Michael McNichol, who is at the podium, who is the public health director for Clatsop County, has requested that the council support uh, the ordinance to aid in county enforcement within the city limits. So uh, since uh, this item was added, there have been some conversations between Mr. McNichol and, and city staff um, requesting that uh, there be a resolution uh, prepared and brought to the council. And so what has been discussed is that tonight, Mr. McNichol will present on this item and, and uh, perhaps Mayor, if you wanna just uh, gather some general consensus. And what we would do is between Mr. McNichol's office and, and the city, uh, have them prepare some uh, draft resolution language that could be brought back to your next meeting for a final consideration. All right, very good. Well, thanks for being here. And Thank you. You may proceed. Well, this is going to be brief, but thank you, uh, Manager Estes, for the and for, thank you, Councilors and Mayor, for having me again. Uh, as you know, the county did adopt the tobacco retail licensing. Uh, we've met with uh, the city of Seaside and the city of Cannon Beach. And for the reason why we're doing the asking for the change, the city of Cannon Beach actually asked us to prepare a resolution in order so they can pass it. And so we thought, well, that might be a good idea for everybody to do and see if the councils would like to do that. So in this case, we're going to uh, just say you know, we're looking for your support. Thanks again, but we'll get together with our staff, with your staff, and get a draft resolution order for you to review. And then we'll come back next time and look for uh, your support that way. So we're not really looking for anything other than it sounds like a great idea or that's terrible. So. Any uh, comments from the council regarding support or not support of this? I fully support it. Yeah, I, su I support it too, and I, I, I wish we were able to get a little bit stronger, especially when it comes to the, uh, the inhalers and, and the issue that you talked about so powerfully uh, to the county about high school use and, and how serious that is. And, and so I guess if, if I wanted to hear something from you, if you could talk about um, how this will help uh, this what many might consider an epidemic in high in the high schools. So you know the most interesting statistic and most depressing one for me is that in Oregon as a whole we have about 18% of the population smokes. In class of county that percentage is 24. So we have a statistically significant higher rate of people, number of people smoking. Uh, so on a policy basis, you know that's where public health works the best at the policy level and doing education. So uh, as a best practice, this has been shown that if you make tobacco, and really uh, tobacco uh, very difficult for under 21 to get, those habits are not then generated. Because most people who started to keep smoking started under the age of 21. So this is really our opportunity to enforce not just what the state now has, but the federal government now passed an under 21 can't have tobacco either. So it's a pretty strong message, but again, it's left to the locals to decide how to enforce that. So we feel that at the policy level, this is the best way to do that as a best practice. Uh, we're also working, uh, the city of Cannon Beach, for example, actually asked us to come back and say, what else can we do as a city to try to get this under control? So we're going to meet with them again, and you know, they may go as far as maybe making a, a no smoking zone or a no tobacco use. Uh, so there's lots of different things you can do, but this is really a good first step. Uh, this summer, we'll also go back to our Board of County Commissioners and revisit the vaping issue and whether or not we can do flavor ban. Um, you know, it's, a, it's a difficult piece to do. We were trying to get the whole enchilada. We got about a half of an enchilada. So we're going to try to go back and get the whole enchilada again and see if we can really deal with the vaping issue, which is the one that's attracting the kids, which big tobacco has certainly made a target of them to continue their uh, business model. So I think that this is the way to actually start that process and get it going. Thank you, and again, I appreciate this work, and I fully support it. Thank you. Well, I, I would agree uh, with, with what Councilor Barnes is saying. Uh, big tobacco probably can't, couldn't care less whether you actually light up a cigarette or vape. They're still selling their product. Anybody who's ever smoked knows that nicotine is addictive. It's hard as heck to quit once you start it. And it's damaging to your body. Every cigarette, everything you do, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit at a time. And it's a remarkable to me, actually, that our society is as accommodating to that as, as we are. But I know it's hard to explain the long health tradition. So I applaud what you're doing and keep 
Maybe this is the one uh, product that, as designed, it is designed to do injury and morbidity and mortality. It's an unusual situation. So, were there any members of the public that wanted to speak on this issue? Okay. All right. I think if we have support, okay, to return with the resolution, we'll look forward to seeing it. We'll get that to you as soon as possible. Thank you. Thanks, Mr. McNeil. All right. And our final. Uh, Regular agenda item tonight is uh, resolution Big Beams LLC, Clatsop County Enterprise Zone Abatement. So at the October 24th, 2019 Council Work Session, representatives of Fort George Brewery spoke to a Clatsop County Enterprise Zone application which was in process. As a part of that discussion, representatives from Fort George stated they wished to secure approval for a 15-year-long uh, rural enterprise abatement as provided by state law. At your January 6th meeting of this year, the council approved the Rural Enterprise Zone Abatement Agreement with Big Beams LLC. This agreement included the application submitted by Big Beams for Fort George, uh, which was processed by the Enterprise Zone Manager. With the aid of tax incentives, Big Beams intends to invest approximately $12,500,000 by redeveloping the former Asteria Warehousing property. Agreements with uh, the four enterprise zone sponsors and Big Beams LFC have been approved by the City of Astoria, the City of Warrington, the Port of Astoria, and the Clatsop County Commission. So Oregon Revised Statutes now requires that the governing body of the county and the city in which the facility is located adopt a resolution approving the property tax exemption for the facility. So tonight, the City Council will consider the draft resolution and then, if approved tonight, would be followed by the Clatsop County Commission next week. So it's recommended that Council adopt the resolution as presented, approving the Enterprise Zone Tax Exemption for Big Beans LLC. I would note that we have Melanie Olson of Business Oregon and also Kevin Leahy, who is the Enterprise Zone Manager here in the audience, if there are any questions. We also... I don't know um, if Ms. Nimblewell, are, are, uh, are you here representing Big Beans LLC? Well, now I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. You had a two for tonight, two big issues. But well, I, I did want to just thank uh, Ms. Olson for being here tonight. I know it's uh, a bit of an inconvenience and that you wanted to be here in case there was any questions. And Mr. Leahy, also for your both of your work on this issue. And I, I would like to. I'll go on the record thanking also the City of Warrington, the Port of Astoria, and Clatsop County for their support at the previous meetings to enable us to get to this point uh, tonight. And as we've commented numerous meetings in the past, I mean, I think this is extremely worthy that Enterprise Zone is designed for this sort of thing. It's good for the community. It's a good use of state uh, policy. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I really appreciate uh, both of your time, Mr. Leahy and Ms. Olson. I had uh, was very unfamiliar. I've never even heard of an enterprise zone before. And I think that the presentations that you've given and being able to answer so many questions that I personally have had along the way, Business Oregon's website is fantastic as well as far as doing a lot of uh, research on, on some of the definitions and the calculations, again, that I had a lot of questions about. So I've just felt really solid throughout this process, um, specifically because of, of the support that both of you have provided and the clarity with which it's been presented. Um, yeah. well, I fully support this. I, I guess I just want to emphasize again for for people who, who may think that, that somehow or other um, a Big Beams is, is getting to duck taxes entirely, that they, they will continue to pay the taxes on that property that have been paid here before. And the difference is that they're going to be making millions of dollars in improvements and they won't immediately have to pay taxes on the improvements. Um, I also have to say that I I find amusing the names that they have chosen for their LLCs. <laughs> this one is Big Beans. I forgot what the other one was. Blue Jeans or something like that. Blue Jumpsuit. Yeah. Blue Jumpsuit. Which are driven by things around the buildings that they have. The Big, big Beans, obviously, being the uh, building that Fort George is in that has those impressive old games. And the Blue Jeans being what they found at the warehouse site. So, 
It's fun. <laughs> and I, I'm fully in agreement with this too. And, and that was but my main concern. And my main question is that how many times can you change a name and still qualify for an enterprise zone? You know, I just want to make sure we're all good because is this your final answer? <laughs> Thank you all for coming tonight. We are adjourned.